Because I eat them. Why? Because I what eat the them. What do you do to you? All right, you're on video. I eat yeah. them. You eat? Do you buy meat from the supermarket? Yeah, but we're yeah. not going. To you know they get killed. They get killed even. They get killed in dirty areas. Nasty, a whole bunch this is of not a dirty, nasty blood area. leaking. That's why I'm saying. That's why you don't want that. You know, you're like you're like a hero on Long Island right now. What? Because kids are upset. They're crying because you want to kill deer. I'm sorry that they're neighbor. crying. You need to explain to no, them that it's like part of life. No, dead. why don't you go? Look, get away. Excuse me, please. Do don't hit my car. Do you have a pet? Yep. How would you like to see your you pet like dead? Deer's a pet. Real man that you have How? to go out and Hang out in somebody's neighborhood right now. I'm not trying to do anything bad. Why don't you go somewhere else? Yeah, you are. I'm not trying to do anything You're bad. You're using a weapon to a live animal. Okay, and I'm going to eat it. Instead, you let somebody you're else kill it. it. No, you're not. What do you mean I'm not going to eat it? Dude, we don't want to see it. Well, then go what away. are you hunting for? All right, the guy is coming here on the way now. The officer is on the way. Great. I don't care. Okay. Leave. You could have your cell phone on you. Leave. Hi. Okay. Yo, you're now. You're, you're really, you really you're an asshole. asshole. kidding me all right i can't sit here for this i can't okay um it is uh friday october 25th 2019 uh let's see here um the world is literally on literally on fire people um Lebanon is battling massive forest fires that have ravaged homes and killed a citizen in the Mediterranean country. Uh, in California, the entire town of, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Gyersville and vineyards across the California wine country were forced to evacuate as a monster fire pushed by wind gusts topping 70 miles per hour burned out of control in a rural section of Sonoma County. In Hong Kong, hardcore protesters throwing, were throwing petrol bombs and trashing businesses to cap a week of anger after recent attacks on pro-democracy demonstrators. In Bangladesh, 16, all 16 accused, including sacked Madrasa principals Siraj Dula and Awami League leader Rahu Amin awarded death penalty for uh, for killing for killing a student and setting her on fire. Uh, but please, let's 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 talk more about Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola not liking uh, Marvel movies. Let's keep on doing that on Twitter for whenever the hell that keeps going. Um, yeah, this is, this, that's what, that's what we've had to, well, that's what I've had to deal with, uh, going on the medias and seeing, uh, Marvel fans complain because two old ass men, uh, don't really particularly enjoy the Marvel blockbusters and people are 
upset about that, and they're all talking about all they all they do is make crime films. Well, let's let's think about that for a minute. Uh, you're asking two old ass men for their opinion on movies specifically geared for the young crowd. I mean, Scorsese is 76, Coppola is 80, you know, Coppola's been just drinking wine and just uh, doing what he does, but y'all really wanted to know what he thinks about Ant-Man. Let me ask y'all, let me ask y'all a question. Do y'all ask your, your, your grandfather, your grandmother, what they... What do you think of young people shit? Do you? Do you, do you do that? No, you, you ever ask, like, hey, you know, hey, hey, Grandpa, have you heard the new Selena Gomez song? Hey, 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 Grandma, do you, do you drink out of Mel's straws and all that? All the young people bullshit? No. So why would you ask these two old men who, you know, who've had long history and I know it's just like they've just they've made classic films and everything but they're but they're they're old right now and you know kind of like the shit that they like they, when they think of Marvel movies I mean pe- people just like what they like everybody everybody's not gonna like the same shit I mean I I didn't want to see uh that euphoria mo- uh, TV show that was on HBO because just young people young attractive people fucking I don't need to see that in my life I'm an old man now. I need to see these young people just doing young people shit. Just pisses me off. They can't do it anymore. So, yeah. So anyway, ah, oh, goddamn. What other what other bullshit is happening? Um. Uh, R.I.P. to Elijah Cummings, the honorable representative from Maryland Seventh District, who. Got the fuck out of here before Trump, I don't know, just, just keeps on bidding the more bullshit that he did and bring along uh, Giuliani and Mike Pence along for the ride. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, if, you know, he just chunked the deuce and it's just like, you know what, just y'all, y'all handle this. Yeah, I got, I got, I'm going to the upper room. I can't, can't deal with this shit anymore. Um, UP, uh, C, oh, here's here's a, uh, one of my favorite stories of the week. Uh, CVS Health and UPS are teaming up to test a program that delivers prescription medications by drone in as little as 10 minutes after placing an order. UPS Flight Forward, which already delivers medical samples by drone at Wake Med Hospital in North Carolina, made the announcement on Monday just weeks after it received federal approval to start delivering delivering packages via drones, according to a statement. So CVS will be dropping medications, oh, medicine over to your house because that won't scare old people who are just w- waiting for their heart medication. Let's imagine... Some like old dude who served in Korea and Vietnam, standing outside his house, looking up at the sky and seeing some thing aiming straight for them. Just 
Gotta be flipping the hell out. They, they're back. They're back. I knew they weren't finished. <sighs> well. Ah, what else? Uh, Tim Ryan drops out of the 2020 presidential race. Didn't know he was in it. Um. Uh, oh, a hunter in Arkansas died after a deer he shot turned the tables and reportedly attacked him. Thomas Alexander, 66, is believed to have been killed as he was hunting in Yellville, an area roughly 101, two miles east of Fayetteville. And let me tell you something. I enjoy hearing stories like that. You know, just, you know, condolences to the family of this dude, but, you know, just... I, I, you know, every now and then I will, you know, I just love hearing stories about uh, the hunter becoming the hunted. Uh, you know, and I also love those videos where I, where you see uh, hunters just getting their ass beat down by deer. Like, love to see those deer, like, standing on their legs and just, just, just knocking them the hell out with their, with their hooves. It's like long top to head. That's just, that is entertainment. Just there's, you know, if you, if you're, if you're out there on a YouTube, just, just type in, in the search engine, deer beating the shit out of a hunter. And you will, you will, you will have a grand old time. I guess you'll do that right after the, you know, the cat videos and the, and uh, the videos of people popping pimples and cysts. Just go on, go just just go on to the deer getting knocked the hell out. Shout out uh, to all the homeless people making money, uh, parking cars. You know, during the during the World Series now, just because that seems to be a new thing. Keep hearing this homeless people getting getting money, parking around Minute Maid. So, and uh, shout out to this dumb motherfucker. Um, a Georgia teenager is accused of trying to sell fake World Series tickets just before the first game of the series on Tuesday. Media outlets report. Now, this is this is the fun part of the story. Uh, Christopher Cross, 18, walked up to two people outside Mint Maid Park, offering them three tickets for $400 each. KPSC reported. However, the two customers were actually undercover police. Wait a minute, I got it. This is I got it. See if I can get this. Let me. I I need to repeat that story again. Let's see. Georgia teenager is accused of trying to sell fake World Series just before the game of the series on Tuesday. Media outlet said Christopher Cross, 18, walked up to two people outside Man Man Park in Houston, offering them three tickets for $400 each. However, the two customers were actually undercover police. Uh, 
That's the wrong way to go. I get sad that Christopher Cross had to learn the hard way. You can't sell fake World Series tickets to undercover police officers. Such a long way to go. That was that was amusing to me. I don't know if it was amusing to anybody else, but hearing that Christopher Cross, there's an 18 year old kid named Christopher Cross out there. First off, and he sold fake World Series tickets to some cops. I wonder if the parents knew. Just like, yeah, you know, just you know. Parents had him and say, "Yo, what should we call our kid? Let's let's call him the dude who came up with the theme for Martha. Let's let's stick that on his ass for the end of time." And he probably, I don't know if he's hurt if he if he's gotten that from people like, "Hey, you're named after that. You're named after the sailor nigga. That's that's." And they're like, "What? What are you talking about? I don't know." Just uh, shout out to Lizzo for um, uh, giving. Uh, uh, songwriting co co-songwriting credit not to the du- two dudes that are that are at- suing I believe trying to get her to, to to get the credit but actually gave it to this uh woman who uh originally tweeted the opening line to her truth hurt song you know took a DNA test turns out I'm 100% that bitch like gave her the credit not the other guys that is that is the best curve of the century I got the week or the moment, or it's a curve. It's a it's a, it's a respectable curve. And then yeah, I gotta give Lizzo credit. Just now, in case she played a flute, she can she can play motherfuckers like that. Just keep on securing that bag, Lizzo. All right, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got right now. Um, got we got an interesting show. Um, I'm gonna got a. Camilo Hannibal Smith planning to talk to me for some damn reason. Uh, but uh, before we do that, let me let me play some tunes for you. This is the most uh, peculiar ass show on uh, the interwebs. This is everything is canceled. I'm sorry.
I need all of me on my knees. Normally, harmony, bumblebee, hummingbird. I'm a nerd, study you. What do you WWF? We fighting, we might need counseling, possibly more so. Me sounds to me, frowns will be grounds to leave. Hounds will be looking for you before you drop a tear. I pray them stop pretending that I ain't him. I ain't them, them some dumpling. I remember when you start dying, them silver heads and start hiding from your age. I ask why I come. Amazing how time can run away from us. I'm no nun, you're no priest, but I promise, hun, you gon' see a phenomenon. Come with me like it's Ramadan. I don't eat like it's Comic-Con. I'm a freak for you, yeah. I'm begging now, pretty please, with cherries on top. Harry, wet, why Harry, get tough, man, don't give up. And if your gut tells you to strut, then strut, then I'll hail you a car. But what man won't beg? You know I'm nutmeg. I will show up on a little moped with a little puppet. It'll be fluffy. We will untough and we can discuss it. You know I'm suffering, I don't miss my friend, I don't like my fan Bent up till I come well, that's illiform, sweet stuff Willowong, we stuck, billabong, leaks that minimum We gon' get along, peace and intercom Jesus, been along, T-I-M-E, I'm please, please, I'm feeling dumb, please, I'm feeling dumb, please, I'm feeling dumb, please, I'm feeling dumb.
Okay. This is uh, Everything is Canceled, a.k.a. Uncle Crizzle's Sad Time. Uh, I am, of course, uh, Craig Lindsay, a.k.a. Uncle Crizzle, a.k.a. Black Larry David, a.k.a. Anastasia Beaverhausen, a.k.a. Just a, just a dead man walking through the dead of night. And uh, that right there, let me just tell you what I played. Uh, that uh, for, starting off at the top was uh, "Come Home" by uh, Anderson Pock. I've been listening to Pock for the past twenty-four hours or so, and that's uh, that's the first track off his new album "Ventura," which I'm, I now feel is uh, my favorite uh, Anderson Pock solo project. And uh, joining him on that track was. Uh, Andre 3000. So, um, I still think, uh, yes, Laud, uh, the thing you did with, uh, with, uh, knowledge, the, uh, the, uh, no worries project. That's still my favorite thing he's done. I might play some of that one of those days, one of these days after that was, uh, without me, uh, from, uh, the group, uh, hello yellow, this, uh, this three man, uh, Funk punk outfit uh, from the uh, from the Bay Area. Uh, a couple, uh, two of the members are are the uh, the, the sons of uh, Dwayne Wiggins from uh, Tony Tony Tony. Um, yeah, that they they were here on Tuesday. Uh, they uh, actually interviewed them for a story, and uh, yeah, that was from their uh, Love Wins EP. And uh, after that, uh, rounding out the block, was uh, Still Wonder, which is the last track from uh, little, the last track from Moonshow from their Little Ghost album, their recently released Little Ghost album. And they're actually, they'll actually be in town uh, this Sunday, leaving uh, the uh, studio at Warehouse Live. So uh, you know, if you're, you're in the Houston area, why don't you check them out? Just, they play nice, relaxing music. And they're also from Los Angeles. I play like I play like at all L.A. block because that's basically you know, a lot of good music is coming out of there. Uh, well, you know, just uh, if you want to hit me up, you want to request shit, if you want to talk to me, if you just want to let people let me know what the hell you think about this uh, this this thing I'm trying to do. Uh, you can hit me up at all the medias at uh you know Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Tumblr, Instagram, MySpace, at uh, Uncle Crizzle, U-N-C-L-E-C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. Uh, you want to donate to this thing, uh, you can hit me up at the, I got, I'm on PayPal too, paypal.me slash Uncle Crizzle. Now, before I get into my, into my guest, let me uh, tell you about today's sponsor, uh, which is uh, once again, uh, woodrocket.com Have you ever wanted to see uh, Bob and Linda Belcher get it on right on the counter at Bob's Burgers or April O'Neil getting a four-way bukkake situation with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, you can see all of that at woodrocket.com That's right, America's premier porn parody site paid me top dollar to tell you about 
There are fine parodies like Aladdin, Beaverdale, Red Dead Erection, Jurassic Wood, Mighty Muffin Pounder Rangers. These are all old titles. Ass Venture Time, and of course, Fap to the Future. And believe it or not, Wood Rocket also has an Etsy store where you can get such items as weed pins, sex toy pins, posters, coloring books, and the April O'Neil Dick and Morty action figure. That's right. They have they have an actress working for them named April O'Neil, and she did play April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sex parody getting covered in green shit. Well, you can find all of that at woodrocket.com, the feature of porn. Tell them Krizzle sent you, if, if you do that. Anyway, well, let's get on to our uh, guest today. He is a uh, local freelance journalist. He has written for uh, the Houston Chronicle. He's impressed Rolling Stone. Uh, he writes a lot about uh, rap music and uh, just basically the, the culture around here in Houston. So uh, let me put him up here. Uh, Camillo Hannibal Smith, welcome to Everything is Canceled. Yeah, all right. Thanks for having me. Is that a real sponsor? Yeah, that yeah is a real sponsor, woodrocket.com. All right. And uh, so how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. It's uh, The weather's been good. It's been nice and crispy. Reminds me of uh, back home. So back, I like it when it's like that. Back home being? Being uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. What part of New Jersey? Uh, we're talking like uh, Union County. Union um, County. Okay. Linden, New Jersey. Fourth Ward represent. Fourth Ward re- represent. And uh, when did you decide to come down to uh, H-Town? Uh, well, I moved here. Um, actually, was working in Pennsylvania. I was working in, uh, what's that new town called? Uh, Debbie University there. I can't even remember. I, I moved there so long ago. Um, anyway, it was like Northeast Pennsylvania and Stroudsburg, I want to say it was named. And uh, I moved out here because it, it got so cold out there, negative negative tens out there. So I um, was looking around, and I heard that uh, Houston Press was looking for some, some people, some bodies. So I got hired at the Houston Press, and that's what brought me out here. And uh, when was that? That was probably like five years ago. Five years ago. I was actually brought out here because somebody was sick there. And um, and I came to replace that. They needed more more warm blood in there. So that's what I became. And uh, well, what were you doing over there at the, uh, at the press? I was the uh, news blog editor. They used to call it hairballs. Oh, yeah. Well, if you – yeah, because I, I saw you like – you you were doing hairballs, so that if you if you're doing hairballs, that means you replaced uh, Richard Connolly, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, because he, I, yeah, he's the guy who started that. And so. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that was, that was a uh, big shoes to fill, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but um, so, but yeah, where did the whole journalism thing start for you? I just, I just wanted to get the origin story on that. Oh, it was. It just came. Like that was just the history of my um, my family. So my mother was a um, a journalist, or yeah, she's in PR now. So I guess she was in journalism for a while, mm-hmm. um, 
like really high level. She made it to a pretty high level. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of what the seeds were planted. But I never really saw myself as a journalist for a long time. Mm-hmm. What, did, what did she write about? She wrote about, uh, let's see, where did she? You know, her her career is mostly in TV. She did she did do a little like small newspaper stuff, but she um she made it to um like weekend anchor at a local uh, Telemundo station in New York. So oh, cool. my mom was like a big deal for early part of the '80s. Um, like people would come up to her in restaurants and shit. So it was it was pretty big. So. So it just like it was just a, just a thing. Well, you say in your family, and I mean, did you did you go to school for that? Uh, I did end up going to school much later for it, um, and yeah, but I was already like kind of old for school age, regular school aging. So no, it was just it was um, like it started for me. Probably I did like an internship in college, but I wasn't really into it because I hadn't figured out yet how to how to like tap into my expertise to like produce journalism, you know what I mean? Instead of like sitting around waiting for like the pager to go. In those days there was like a pager that would let you know like when shit was getting hot and you'd have to follow some ambulances or something and get a story. So I didn't really know exactly, no one really like sat me down and said like, hey man, you could like, you know, dig into this or dig into that or like cultural stuff. So I I didn't really catch on for years and years later. I just seen like what did the what what did you send the Houston press to make them go, yeah, bring your ass uh, over here? And, oh, and you know what happened? So um, they were just gonna give me like a month to try out, and um, and I was like, nah, you know, fuck that. I can definitely extend the month because like I knew what they were looking for. Yeah. So there's a whole um, there's like this whole thing in journalism, right? That was pretty hot maybe ten years ago, where um, you were just producing content for content's sake. Yeah. So I, I'd become pretty pretty good at that, um, just producing stuff for the sake of producing clicks, mm-hmm. um, understanding SEO and all that stuff. Yeah. I had started that back in the day um, of my career. I was doing like indexing and all that crazy stuff, so I kind of understand that those mechanics. Anyway, they brought me there, and I just was – it was a big, like, carousel. You'd have to hit, like, different points in the day and have stuff posted. Like, it's kind of like the – the background a lot of these websites that kind of dominate these markets of, of uh you know these top top 10 markets like houston um so yeah so i was able to like meet the deadlines and produce and and um it was sort of my way of uh of yeah of giving them what they needed so because i come i'd been working in new york and stuff like that so I, I was used to like high high volume production of uh of local news content. So how long were you there at the press? I was there probably five months. Yeah. Probably five months. Um, because I really went there with the dream of knocking out like back to back, uh, cover stories and really, um, you know, digging deep into Houston culture and, and, you know, producing all this work. But really it was like, I was caught up, with the news cycle and trying to um trying to out out interwebs people so that takes a lot of a lot of uh a lot of time so i got i got an offer to do some long form video journalism in venezuela and i i took that mm-hmm. and it was only for a couple months but yeah. um but i i left the job 
and uh, and went to Caracas. How was all of that? Caracas. It was. It was. Uh, the the weather is beautiful there. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people are indoors before dusk. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah. And this was like twenty fifteen or so. So I think it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Actually, it has gotten worse there. So, um, but it was cool for me. I mean, and I I did you know some video video style journalism. I did this uh this two minute piece on a on a guy who was doing uh, religious based hip hop in the barrios out there. Yeah. And he was also a filmmaker. So it was it was interesting to see people all the way in Venezuela using the same techniques for promoting their music careers as uh is out here in a city like Houston. Since all the tools are available. Yeah. It, weren't you also uh, a copy editor at the LA Times? So um, I got into the business as a copy editor. That was uh, so after my internship that I did in college that actually was like paying me to actually do journalism, mm-hmm. um, this uh, opportunity to be a copy editor. So for a long time in, in major news outlets, they've been trying to, to uh, you know, achieve some type of parity with the uh, the communities that they cover. You mm-hmm. might be aware of this kind of stuff. So there was a program called... Um, MetPro, right? It was the Minorities and Editorial Training Program, something or other. And it was run by Times Mirror, which is um, this is the old company that owned um, Los Angeles Times and yeah. Newsday and a bunch of newspapers. So they had this program to train copy editors, but you had to be a person of color. Mm. And they gave you free housing on Long Island and West Babylon. This is all true, by the way. And um, I did that program, and I was in... Um, I was at Newsday, and I was going to, um, I was like, I'm going to end up at the L.A. Times. So I lobbied and did really good, and I ended up being selected as a copy editor to continue his fellowship at the New- at the L.A. Times. And um, But my whole secret plan the whole time was to go to L.A. and actually mix and mingle with, like, the Hollywood crowd. Because by this time, I had already picked up this interest in independent filmmaking in college, because mm-hmm. this was, I was in school during the whole like independent heyday, and and I'm from New Jersey. Obviously, Kevin Smith is from New Jersey, so that like had a big, profound impact on like my career direction. Yeah. So um, so that and that that kind of comes back to why I write about culture today, because of Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is me. That 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 was what what drove you to do journalism and. Well, that that drove me to to pursue this this thing of going to Los Angeles, but the way the tools I had at the time were through journalism, in order to get into sort of the, this area of making movies because I didn't really have any stories that were bubbling inside of me that I had to tell um, at the time. I wasn't really writing. Um, I mean, I wasn't really writing as far as journalism. I was working on on screenplays and things like that, and um, and the idea was just to work work that way into the business. Um, while at the same time holding down a copy editing job at the the main paper there. So um, that didn't all work out exactly like I planned it, but I did sort of find this more of a deeper interest in the kind of journalism I wanted to produce. Um, because which, that, was? which was writing about culture. Yeah. So I, I kind of put it out there that <clears throat> the thing that inspired me to write, like the thing that like really, really inspired me to write 
was working for maybe five years at the LA Times and seeing that a paper of that size really was behind a lot of the the movement of street culture and the movement of things that happened in black culture and in hip hop culture and they were as they were really behind on that and every time uh, a reporter would write something that was either like this is new in this culture I would always like shoot him an email like nah bro it's been going on for a long time blah blah blah, blah. and a lot of them most of them didn't like that right like who are you uh, copy editor dude like telling me like this isn't right and uh, and then there was one day that I said that to this one guy who was writing about Paul Wall at the Grammys I think he was at the Grammys that year with uh, with TV Johnny and um, the reporter wrote this story about how amazing it was that they had this business selling mouth jewelry and XYZ and they really made it seem like grills was like this brand new thing so you know I kind of sent him an email I was like hey man I'm from Jersey We've had grills for the longest. Grills aren't, you know, they're not new to the culture. And uh, and he just kind of said to me, you know, if you know so much about it, I want you to write about it. And uh, and at that point, I st- and the guy's name is Chris Lee. He works for um, New York Magazine um, oh. out of L.A. Yeah. And so he, he told me that, and uh, he's like, we need voices like yours, X, Y, Z. And that's when I started to look at uh, kind of um, Los Angeles uh, street culture and, and the output. You know, by extension of that, the output of the hip hop community. This is probably in like 2005, 2006. So that was like when I really, really got into like, I'm going to start, you know, writing stories. So my early subjects were like Lucha Libre, obviously hip hop, um, like the mixture like hip hop and art, um, you know, street art, uh, all all that kind of stuff. Um, And now, you know, I was pitching those stories to editors and they were like, okay, yeah, you can write about this. And, um, let me know if I'm just going on and on. You got any more questions? This is a long but, story. Well, hey, just like that's 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 why I brought your ass here because uh, no, you talk about stuff. Yeah, no, but just you know, just to talk about who you are because it just just give people an instance of why I brought you in the first place. Because uh, tell you, be honest with you, because like when I saw because I saw you started following me, I think started on like Instagram and stuff like that, and. I just uh, started um, checking out some of your work, and I, I couldn't help but, but think is, you know, uh, I guess I guess he's he's the new Shay now. Shay's Shay's a friend of mine. Yeah. So no, Shay, like Shay's long gone. Moved. Yeah. Just you know writing books now. And just cause, and, you know it's funny because like I left uh, to to do a, do a newspaper job in the mid aughts, and like he kind of stepped in in the Houston press and. I mean, like, I, I used to do this nightlife column called The Nightfly, and, um, you know, they kind of fired me from that. Uh, but, you know, after, like, a bunch of other people, they got... Well, you got shit. fired from Nightfly? Yeah. Why, Margaret fired you? Yeah. Yeah, you know. But uh, just a whole a whole long sordid tale, which nobody comes out good at all. But, <laughs> um, but Margaret, of course, is the editor of the, of the Nightfly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so after a, a, a succession of people like Brian McManus and other people like that, uh, Shea stepped in to be the knife light. He did a good job. I'm actually like 10 years, I think it was like 10 years ago, I was back here and I hit up, hit Shea up, Shea Serrano, this is what we talk about, and, uh, say, hey, it's the old knife light. Mention a new knife light. You know, let's, let's go out and just go to, 
bars and clubs and stuff. And, you know, he was driving me around and, uh, you know, he was talking about writing for Slam and uh, Slam Magazine. He was doing a lot of stuff over there and just because he wrote about, you know, about sports and hip hop and everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like Shay, but I don't know anything about sports. Yeah. He, um, but I'll tell you how, how he does have an effect on what I do is because um, one time we went out for tacos at some taco spot in the Heights for lunch. And um, and we just got this to this conversation about like, you know, you know, how opportunities and this and that is coming. And, and, uh, and he was just kind of like, um, well, what are you trying to do? Right. He's asked me, what are we trying to do? It's like, you know, I, my goal is to really just kind of be independent as far as a person who can put out content and write stories and not have to uh you know either worry about making rent this is like everybody's dream right write whatever the hell you want to write about and not have to worry about if that whether or not that's going to pay you know your your living expenses and um and he was just like well i did that and you know i just wrote you know like back then they were paying stories like 25 dollars a story and so he just he just had like a financial goal to meet and he just wrote that many stories and uh, and it was just for him. It was just a matter of just like reaching better and better outlets, until like any opportunity that came, he was on it. And then you know, obviously that book and getting blessed by Bumby just kind of like boom exploded for him. But he was ready for it by that time because he had been working so hard. So the way you know when you when you look at a guy like that who's been able to make a career out of uh, out of writing, it's definitely like an inspiration. You want to at least um, aim for it, you know, because I think it's still possible. Like I don't pay the bills through through just writing alone, but writing does does help me um, not have to worry about you know expenses so much. Um, what else What else do you do? My main gig, like what I live off of, is is web production. Yeah. That's that's kind of what what I got. Because um, I worked at the Chronicle for a little while, and I got laid off after like a year and a half um, because uh, they had they had cut the the department that I was part of and. And they just kind of like said, "All right, peace, peace, dog." And um, but I had the, I had this job to fall back on, which is actually really cool. It's it's a cool, it's a cool job if if you're really into like news, the news cycle, um, and that's it. You know what I mean? Like if you can focus on just like the cycle of the news, and boom, you knock out eight hours, you're done. Um, but I have all these, you know, deep interests that that kind of um i have to handle my own time so it ends up making really long days but uh where was i going with that i just i just um oh we were talking we we're just talking about just uh just being a freelancer and how uh yeah so you pay you, you get stuff going yeah so i mean I, maybe maybe you know what's up with that like i saw i saw your piece that you did on um fontaine little brother and that that spoke to me because that was one of the first like um the one i did for medium no the one you did for new york magazine well i interviewed fonte for uh you know because he was uh doing music for that sherman showcase yeah that okay that's the one he did yeah because i i've I've written like a little brother story in my lifetime and and uh you know the source that was like one of the first things i had to do for the source so anytime i see like a uh once, anytime I see somebody smart doing like a Fonte story, I always check it out because I, yeah. I always like how that guy um, is like very hip hop, but also just very, very funny and just, I don't know, entertaining type of dude. I still rock the 80s album that he put out. I don't oh, know yeah, if you missed it. Wait, him and uh, Zoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I still like that one a lot. Yeah. 
So he's 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 good peoples. Um, but yeah, North Carolina. I haven't been there, but a lot of my friends live there, and my yeah. best friend owns a summer house out there. So. Is that is that uh how would you compare uh the Durham Raleigh area to Houston? Uh, as I always used to say, it's it's clean and it smells nice. And I mean, is I mean, there's a lot of good you know pluses to it, especially if you if you're you know employed and stuff like that. I mean, the people are people are nice and. If you were a, a purveyor of uh, of black culture, how what would you say is the difference between the two? Like, what are some things that jump out at you? Once, well, as I was telling you off mic, um, I've been uh, doing this whole sober October thing, and I'm not drunk enough <laughs> to talk about any of this, which is which is why I've been talking like this for most of the the show. But it's uh, just it you know the front thing the th- thing about it uh, since you know since you know, you're hip you write a lot about hip hop is is that the hip hop scene is actually uh, more communal there than it is here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of the hip, you know, people in hip hop work at hip hop know each other well, and just like they all, you know, um, support each other, and you know, they'll have they'll do like uh, two days summit festivals and shit, and just like you know. Of course, I, you know, with you know, Fonte, of course, you know, with Little Brother, with Ninth Wonder, and everything. So Foreign like Exchange. Like that's, that's the foundation, and there's all these other different uh, groups and uh, performers popping off all over the place. I mean, that you know, that that's good. I mean, in in Durham especially. I mean, Durham. Let's let's be honest. It's like it's you know that's you know, that is that's the, the 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 place. Well, you know, not um. You know, lately the you know well, white people have been kind of moseying in, kind of uh, gentrifying the place a bit, but it's still, uh, you know, the part of North Carolina is heavily predominantly uh, African American. Of course, they have that history of Durham being a place, and uh, they have things like the Art of Cool Festival, where they'll uh, bring in um, you know different uh, you know performers like Moonchild and Anderson Pock and uh, Actually, the like low brother got back together because they they did an impromptu show at that festival. Oh, with Ninth, Ninth Wonder. Oh yeah, they're all there. The, it's it's like Royce the Five Nine couldn't make it. Right. <clears throat> so they they literally just decided on that day to to, to do a reunion show. Oh wow. And uh, so yeah, that's that's good. Like I've been here for three, I've been back here for three years. I still don't know what the hell is going on, hip hop wise. It's kind of funny because, uh, you know, the biggest right now, like the biggest star to come out this damn place. You know, apart from Travis Scott, of course, is Lizzo. Yeah. And you know, I did not know anything about her and her Houston past. Nobody knew anything. I don't know if this is something you... Well, when I first heard her was um, was on NPR. Yeah. There's a show... There's some, like, show where they, like... The Tiny Desk thing? No, no. There's, there's like, a, a show that comes on. It comes on out here at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, but it has, like, a regular time slot also. 
it's like on it's called on being oh. and it's super like earthy oh. and she does interviews and then at the end of that because it's produced i guess in minnesota maybe i'm probably getting this wrong but it's produced somewhere where lizzo is actually i think from from yeah. and um and at the end of it she's like rapping something 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 da, da, da. and then it's like and they say thank you lizzo for doing our our uh, closing music and so that's when I first heard of her was on that. And I thought she was just like an NPR friendly performer. And then after I start seeing her, her name pop up. But um, but hey, man, I think Houston should claim anybody with any any substantial roots. Do you know Felicia uh, Rashad lives in um, upstate New York or not upstate New York, like Mount Vernon-ish area? Or Hudson Valley? Valley, Valley? talked to Felicia Rashad earlier this year. Did you? Yeah, because she was getting... Uh, this, uh, this Lifetime Achievement Award okay. at uh, the uh, ATX Television Festival in Austin. Right. And I was you know, saying, and because like she had, she's starring in that uh, that uh, Oprah Winfrey Network show, David Makes Man. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, she's getting an award. That show's coming up. I'll do a story on her for the Chronicle, and that's that's how that happened. See, I like how your freelancer mind works. Well, you have no choice because I'm just like you just. A desperate man in desperate times. Yeah, but see, who else is going to be able to recap that man? I, I love her, but I, I was surprised that she lived. So she, I, I was, I put up this story the other day that uh, she was having the auditorium at like a local high school in her town named after her, and then she was saying how much of a honor it was to have something named after her in her home in her home city or whatever. And I was like, oh, but what about Houston? So I read further down, and she did name check Houston. She's saying how education was important and that she grew up in Houston during segregated times yeah. and that she always had black teachers. And the, I guess the point she was trying to make is that she always had a, a great education growing up. And um, I'm not sure why she brought up the segregated community and she had black teachers, but I guess she was just trying to give a shout out to having a good upbringing out here. So, um, but I love, I love like those kinds of connections that they have. So hopefully Lizzo has that kind of connection where she like super grew up here. And I mean, I know she went to college here and, and, yeah. uh, yeah, a leaf claims it, right? Or somewhere around well, there. Well, that's the thing. Like going back to what I'm saying, like she she looks like the biggest thing in pop right now, and you would think that uh, people in Houston would be talking about it more. And pe- I find people talking more about Megan Thee Stallion than than Lizzo. I mean, yeah, honestly, it's like, it's like of course she had the summer jam. Yeah, hot girl summer and everything, and just like. But also, you know, you got to be honest about why. It's because they look so different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to copy that shit. But it's just like it's, you know. But it's great that that Houston uh, could produce somebody who's uh, her Twitter name. No, no, on Instagram, what is she? Is Lizzo be eating? That's her. That's her. That's her. Uh, her handle. Wow, did not know that. So she's she's pretty. Um, I'm sure she's she's um, empowering many more people. Than you could you could imagine. Well, speaking of uh, big girls, uh, liked your piece about uh yeah you know going back and reading some of your stuff, and I saw you did a story about uh BBW girls uh, stripping. You know, that, I think that was I think that might have came like a couple weeks after I spoke to Shay, because I think I was like, man, I gotta go hard to go home. No, no pun intended there, but um, that that story, I, I wish I could have done better justice to the BBW scene out here. But I think the truth is it's not so much a scene as it's integrated into just normal strip club culture. 
Like I actually had to visit strip clubs to kind of get a sense of what it is out here. Cause I grew up with a lot of strip clubs in Jersey, but they're just different. And you come here and um, there's like different, uh, I guess, different types of women that, you know, for any particular guy who goes in there. And so you might see a girl who might classify herself as BBW, but it's not necessarily like BBW night. Although there are some places that do have BBW nights. Yeah. So I wasn't really making the kind of money on that story to actually go undercover in BBW clubs and, and check them out. But um, I did I did make a bunch of phone calls and, and uh, you know, late night chats on, on the Twitter because that's the only time these types of ladies are available to chat. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think that was their, one of their highest uh, clicked on stories that year. For obvious reasons. Hey, yeah, I remember back in the day, like, cause uh, yeah, you go to the, go to the, the hood booty clubs, you know. On a, you know, there's this one place I keep, you know, this is one legendary place that is like not too far away from where I used to live in the South Park. It was like uh, on the OST, and uh, yeah, the, they they had they had uh, strippers in there. Uh, didn't didn't really mind. Didn't. Really, you know, you know their body type wasn't, you know, flexible. Shall we say? Just like you know, I, I saw one chick in there was pregnant, like straight up pregnant, just walking around. I was like, okay. She's got to make her money too. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't mind if like the whole place is really like chitlins. <laughs> like yes, you know, there's, there's there. Yeah. Yeah, Houston. Houston has plenty of plenty to offer on the strip club front. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I never forget. I went to. You know, Southwest Houston, or we used to call it South Breast Houston. And I uh, visited five strip clubs in one night. Were they on the same street? In in the same radius. I think I started with Colorado and then. Were they they BYOB type situations? No. No, like this was this was before like the whole bullshit. But and just, you know, just they, you know, they weren't around um, schools and everything. So that was a whole thing because, like, the, like, you know, they said the SOB, the, the, the SOB ordinance, which you usually can't have run uh, operations like that near churches or schools or whatever. And so, yeah, so I just went, I just, you know, went around uh, Colorado, I think Baby Dolls and Ritz and uh, like half of those aren't around anymore. But yeah, I did that on a Tuesday. Yeah, that's uh, middle of the week strip club runs, those. Those legit. Uh, um, there's one guy named DJ Wired Up. I think he does like a a regular strip club behind the scenes on his Instagram stories. If you ever check it out, I forget which one he works at. One of the, I guess higher, higher up ones. Before I forget, ones. before I forget, uh, you, did you hear about this, the stuff? Uh, the 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 trouble Shay went uh, to into uh, a couple weeks ago on Twitter. Um, no, I'm trying to think. No, this was recent. Yeah, this was this was very recent because uh, you know he's promoting the book, movies, and other things. I don't know when he's gonna come down to Houston to promote that. Which is that's, yeah, that's, I haven't seen anything on that yet. I mean, like he's been to Dallas and, and San Antonio, but I don't know. But and but uh, yeah, he's been promoting uh, the book. Um, he did this article on Esquire.com about. Wait, this interview where he's talking about how he's not a big fan of old movies and oh yes, he was like like basically denigrating movies that 
were made before Caddyshack and everything. Rafifi came up, right? Yeah, Rafifi, that one. Yeah, I haven't Which seen Which is actually a good yet. movie, actually. I saw that years ago. Yeah. But just, and 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 film Twitter kind of lost its shit. Cause, like, I people, did see stuff about that. Yeah, people, that actually inspired me to, to send in a book pitch, by the way. That that conversation was very inspiring to me, but I have to, that's separate. Um, and, uh, yeah, so <laughs> like, people were complaining because he was basically bad-mouthing you know, old classic movies because he just didn't feel. And, uh, and it's like it's, the whole thing is like, listen, I understand it's not your bag and everything like that, but don't, 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 don't shoot your mouth off to that point where the 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 the, the Twitterati is going to come down on you because and call you and talk about you know and, and it, it was all just this whole crazy thing because you know you know the his his army. Yeah, was coming to support and saying, "Well, he gives the charities and and everything and and uh, and like my fellow film uh, critic colleagues, they were all, yeah, but he, but he, but he said something dumb. So, yeah, I did. I caught a little piece of that. Somebody had commented on something somebody else said, and that person happened to be like a university professor or whatever. But um, but no, my thing to that is like the the magic of that dude is that he has a way of just like talking to like everyday kind of person. Yeah. And it's something that I think was honed working in independent media. Cause you kind of have to have that. Like, I guess you got to like sharpen your, your own critical sensibilities when you work in that kind of area. And that's pretty much like where he got like his, his start. Like I got my start in like kind of the stuffy, you know, copy editor, major papers. So I can always, my feel for like my tone and stuff when I write and when I'm talking like, I'm talking like those Rafifi people half the time, even though I never saw Rafifi, but like I know what it means to the culture, you know, yeah. so I would probably watch it and, and uh, you know, I, I would engage people on that level. But I think like that audience may not be as big as the audience who cares about Fast and Furious over Rafifi. I don't know. Kudos to that dude for being able to like just talk to like just common, common people, you know, the regular man type of situation. It, it's, it's it's already been established that uh, that that Shea isn't necessarily a film critic, so he wouldn't know that stuff. At the same right. time, he's writing a movie. He's writing book. He's he written about book about movies. You know, just like you know, and and I think and that's also the kind of problem I have because like, yeah, you know, I I review movies like on and off and everything. And if you're gonna be you know, write about film, yeah, you, know, you can't limit yourself to just certain types of films and everything like that. That that seems to be that seems to be a problem uh just popping up these days with, with people who want to write about movies. Like they'll write about this shit but they won't don't write about anything else. The other the other things the like art, pe- people the will stick films. with like horror movies and stuff. Like Yeah. But and then there are those who will write just about avant garde cinema and everything just some of my favorite critics are people who manage to write about everything. Yeah, I, I know, I know what you mean. Um, some of that stuff, some of that stuff is definitely. Um, gosh, I don't want to call it like highbrow versus lowbrow, um, but how about like high concept? Like we don't pay attention to like the high concept films as much as like the the high culture films or like the indie films and if people get excited if there's like some kind of cross in between them yeah. like um like the guy who did 
Summer Somerville. What was the name of that that movie about? Midsummer. Uh, Midsummer. Yeah. yeah the, like uh, like that kind of guy where it can be kind of like art house film, but also kind of like just a straight horror film. And, and I think people get excited when they see stuff like that. And um, which I think means that maybe people like like to see more just straight. You know, a Halloween movie directed by you know a guy who specializes in like uh, Southern Gothic, you know, kind of um, sensibilities. You know, so I think it's that whole um, mixture of uh, of that stuff that I don't know that I like, and I, maybe there's like a new generation of people who are, who are digging that too, since that's kind of what we see. And I got I got bones with the whole Martin Scorsese thing only because he tells a story about how. He wanted to write about the third man, and uh, when he was going to NYU, and his professor said, "No, that's like a genre, a noir piece. Like that's not real cinema." And how he really fought that, that at the time. It's so weird that he would say that. I don't know if any of the writings have said that. I've mentioned that, but I know that's a Martin Scorsese story that he was dissed by his his professors for wanting to write about third man. Yeah. And now he's dissing the Marvel universe. That was that already brought up. Well, I I didn't bring it up. I'm oh. pretty sure it's been. I mean, that that whole thing is. Can we I, can we please not talk about that? Because I just went to that shit earlier this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think they're kind of they might that that those arguments to me are kind of on the same parallel a little bit. But I love movies. I get, I got into movies because my dad. My dad was really into movies, so he would always take me, and um and he'd rent stuff. So. I was oh. big into renting movies and yeah. Well, I mean, what was what's the kind? What was the kind of stuff you were into? The kind of stuff I was into. It's so hard to like put my finger on it, but I know like all kinds of stuff used to come through my house, like foreign films and um, Disney movies. I know a movie that like I really really enjoyed, and to this day I really really enjoy, and. Um, if I could ever like screen this movie publicly, I would. And it's um, it's called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. And uh, the only person I recognize from it is uh, Tim Thomerson is in it. He's yeah, an actor. He played he played uh, played the cross dressing doctor in that one. You know that movie? I know it very well. So that movie recently came out for uh, streaming on uh, on Amazon, and I had been looking for it for a long time. And um, I was actually like genuinely excited because I used to only see it like broken up on USA up all night or something, yeah. you know, with, with the commercials into it. Anyway, that, that was a movie that, that had a profound effect on me as a young man. Movie movie freaked me out as a kid. Just the trailers, I, the, the, the ads, the TV ads freaked me out for some reason. I just like... I didn't get the cocaine references back then, obviously, but now now I get them more. You didn't get the cocaine references. Yeah. The, the movie literally starts with like, like somebody literally snorting the credits. Right, but to, to actually know what cocaine meant to the 80s, like I didn't realize that until later. I mean, until, I, until rewatching it. Like the, that to be an 80s movie and cocaine's popularity and I guess what it was saying. Um, see, I don't really consider myself a critic, by the way. I'm more of a... Um, an observer? I'm more of a street culture whisperer for mainstream media. That is... Um, that is the, na- the name of the show, the na- of today's episode, Street Culture Whisperer yeah, that's with Camilla Hamble-Smith. That's the only edge that I can usually get. Not, not that I have any you know, expertise on, on street culture, but um, 
you know, I kind of grew up around the type of cats who make hip hop music, who do street art. So I'm, I'm aware of, of what's special when you see stuff pop up and, and what can actually make like a legit uh, article. But a lot of it's from mainstream press, so that, that's the only thing I'm trying to break away from. Um, but like that movie did not, that's not a mainstream movie, even though it looked like they tried to push it that way. So I'm definitely trying to do Jekyll and Hyde together again type of coverage about Houston. Yeah. Less cocaine though. Is it not? Yeah, you know, I never thought I would have a conversation about that movie with anyone ever. But uh, it's something you don't. Like, oh, you want to hit? me to another of, one? I was expecting a lot of uh, titles to come out of your mouth, but I was expecting that. I don't know how. I'll, I'll hit you with one more. I'll hit you with one more. Uh, Amazon Women on the Moon, I think, is oh, is my like God. gold standard. You are just. I would. You just bring back my childhood right now. I, I remember distinctly, like that movie. They. Like it came out for a weekend here in Houston, and then I just had to, and I didn't get to see it. It and so I had to wait for it to come out on video, and I kept used to kept begging my uh, mother uh, to, when whenever get went to the video store like Amazon Women on the Moon. Now that was not a. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I need to see Amazon Women. Yeah. It make me because I was like a big. Uh, I was also. Uh, you, ever, you ever see the Kentucky Fried movie? See, that's the one you always find floating around for to stream out. But I, that one, that one is. Uh, I, I feel like that one's the lesser one of the two. Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, if you compare Amazon Women on the Moon and Kentucky Fried Movie, I feel like Amazon comes out on top. No, it doesn't. But uh, hey, David you know, Allen Greer. But but oh, but man. that's like cause you. It's it's your generation, sir. <laughs> I mean, it's your, that's you can top like David Allen Greer. And David Allen Greer. But Kentucky Fried Movie. Was 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 written by uh, uh, the airplane guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Zuckerberg's, Z or one of them. Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams. Zucker, okay. Yeah. And it was directed by uh, John Landis, who would go on to do Animal House. Yeah. And Blues Brothers, and 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 accidentally kill Jennifer uh, Jason League's father. But other than that, uh, just like uh, oh, it's on Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, yeah. So that was her dad. Vic Morrow was her dad. Yeah. Oh man, see, I learned something today. Yeah, I just you know, just take that with you. But just like, like, you know, when you, like, we maybe you know, compare it to like, because there's such a good pedig pedigree with Kentucky Fried Movie, and with all the stuff that happened, like, you know, I don't know if you ever saw Kentucky Fried Movie had like Catholic high school, t uh, Catholic teenage high school girls in trouble. I forget the full title and uh, a fistful of yen. Fistful of yen, yes. yeah. Yeah, and. and of course, yeah. I mean, it's like is one of those movies that's just like funny and naughty at the same time. It's like the, never forgetting the, you know, there's that scene where uh, the in the Catholic high school girls in trouble trailer and this woman, this girl, is basically getting getting uh, uh, getting it from behind in a, in a shower, and her breasts are slapping up against the glass and everything, and just like they're using her breast as comic props. Is that, see, see, I have to see that one again. You don't see that every day in a movie. So, no, that, that's um, definitely the the gratuitous uh, chest shot of the eighties. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the seventies. Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, was it seventies? Okay, and, see, uh, I saw it in the eighties. I get confused. And uh, yeah, Amazon Movement on Moon was the eighties, and that also has gratuitous right uh, stuff in it. And I, yeah, oh yeah, like the big thing at the end where the the guys get the video the video date. 
right. and he pops the tape in. I don't know if you remember that scene. Is that all the way? No, I don't. I have to see that. It's hard to find that one streaming. Amazon Women on the Moon? Yeah. It's out there somewhere. You can just go. Just... But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, listen, it's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy movie. Look, a lot of stars and everything in there and just five directors. And, yeah. Uh, I miss those. I miss those. That's um, There was one that came out a few years ago. I know Hugh Jackman was in it. Was it called like movie 40? Movie 43? Yeah. I have not seen that shit all the way. That I, was kind of in the same vein. I can't get myself to watch that movie because I've heard so many bad things about it. It's crazy as hell. You really have not seen it? I've seen some parts of it here and there. Just like the like the really... Uh, the over-the-top parts? Yeah, really over-the-top stuff. Yeah. But uh, You ever seen The Groove Tube? Um, I think I've tried to watch that one. I remember that 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 video cover with the has it like a gorilla. Yeah. Yes. Is yeah. that that same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Parody style. Yeah, parody and like you know like. And who's the who's the director of that? Uh, Ken Shapiro, because like he used to, like that whole thing. Was it a trauma movie? No, it wasn't. It was like like he used to run this uh, underground. Uh, video uh, comedy theater called Channel One, like mm. Chevy Chase was in it and everything, and just like it was just like this, they would make videos uh, and play it. Like this was like the earliest instances of video comedy in the seventies and so. Right. So yeah. No, I'd, I'd love to check that out. I'll check that out. Yeah. For sure. So we're just learning about a whole bunch of things. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought up movies. Yeah. See, I, that's the book I would write is about all this stuff, and then nobody would buy it, and then yeah. and then I'd be talking shit about Shay on Twitter because nobody buys my obscure '80s movie book. It, 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 it's hard. It's hard to stay humble and uh, and supportive when you ain't got shit going for you. This is just the, the story of my life. But, uh... Hey, man, you, you know what? Can I... Have you talked about that GoFundMe that you set up? Which one? I've, there have been several throughout the years. Damn. But, I feel like people don't know that story. That That's, um... I, I, I didn't know that there was, like, a history of people doing that on GoFundMe. I didn't know that that was possible. I th- I think I was one of the first people to... to you had to be. Try ...to break out and do that. Like, hey... Oh, you're talking about the main one, the one I did like years ago on Indiegogo. Oh, was that Indiegogo? Yeah, you yeah. were a reporter out of work. Yeah, I was a reporter out of work, and I was just like looking. I just I couldn't make my rent, and it was it was the holiday season, so it just like everything jived perfectly. With and didn't you get? Did you make like double your asking? Uh, yeah, I make I made like like two three times what I was asking. So yeah, yeah, just. No, that was that was, was cool stuff. It, it was a it was a heartwarming story that you know just. Did anybody write about that? Uh, a lot of people, yeah, several, yeah, several people wrote about it. Just there's uh, one, one guy memorably uh, wrote about it on his blog, and uh, you know decided in the blog that, that to call me fat, which pissed off more people than me. Just, um. One of one of my heroes, James Wolcott, wrote about it back when he was doing his Vanity Fair blog, and uh, so yeah. But uh, you know, every now and again, I'll I'll pop up and like, do, like recently I did one 
I, I had a horrible experience at the DMV here. So I said it's probably more easier to uh, renew my driver's license from North Carolina. So I put up a, I briefly did a Facebook um, fundraising thing where I just like, you know, can y'all help me, <laughs> you know, with some, you know, some, some uh, airfares. So I go back to North Carolina and, um, and uh, renew my driver's license. But then, like, after a day, I was just like, nah, never mind. I was just, I was just letting off steam. It was just like the, at this horrible time at the DMV, and I decided, screw it. Seems like that would have worked. A lot of people don't like the DMV waits. Yeah. Right here, I just, you know, it's funny because, like, all I, you know, I just went ahead and, um, and uh, did a, did the, you know, study for the test. I went online, just, just studied over and over again. Passed that. I was waiting uh, to do the, uh, the, 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 the driving test because they have to s- spread that apart two months. And in the middle, right in the middle of it, they just said, they just sent me my license. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell, just like I have a, apparently I have a current driver's license now, so. Got through the loophole, man. Yeah, I guess. That's, I guess. What, that's what my, um, my Rasa be looking to do. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I have no idea. I just know, I know, know there's a lot more um, Latino people in the South than there used to be, right? I, I have not kept tabs on that. I know there's always, you know, that's the funny thing in North Carolina. I just like, where are the Latino people? And just, well, they're there now or they're getting there because. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because, like, uh, like I said, I was reading up on you. And just like, You also did a story about Audio Video Plus, which is that old. Uh, so you know what about that, man? I've, I've, like, really, I don't know. Do you know the lady who used to own this? No, I never didn't know her. I mean, I've heard stories, but I so she's like a legendary uh, Chinese American businesswoman from out here, and supposedly getting in touch with her is really hard. So I've been, you know, working with some people, and then they kind of like back off, and I've just been having to like old school reporter style track down her address and send her a letter, kind of thing, because um, emails like she won't answer, and um, it's not so much like. She hasn't tell she hasn't sent in any word like no not to do it. I know that that there's probably at least one other person trying to do like a history of of Houston VHS. So it's like a story that I really wanted to do, but kind of get in touch with this lady to let her know like you know I don't just want to write about your building. I really want to write about what you meant to the culture. You know that kind of thing. So I think I've been getting um, sort of pushback on that from. People who don't want me to write that story, but who knows? Man. Conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just that—that's—that's that's the thing I uh, do not miss about writing about the Houston, writing for the Houston Press was that like they did not understand, especially when I was writing. And back then, there there was there was not any social media. There wasn't even MySpace or anything. So you literally had to go out and find these people like bounty hunters. Especially in the nightlife scene, when, especially when I was doing the nightfly, and just, uh, just you, it, they, these people don't have offices, hmm. right. and you, you can't, you know, you just like have to like hopefully get numbers and, and call up the clubs, and then you go to the clubs, and they get worried when they see a big black guy asking questions about the management and shit. They think, you know, I always, I used to say, you can always tell which which clubs are ran. Through uh, drug or gun money, 
because they would be the ones that just would always refuse to talk to you. Sure enough, like when I was writing for the Nightfly, there was like an international ecstasy ring going on in the uh, in the downtown Houston clubs where like owners of different uh, clubs were were part of this. So yeah, no, that's that's right, man. They don't want to be out there. That's um. That yeah, that's that's funny you mention that on on the illegal illegal portion because it's always harder to do those kinds of stories. Yeah. But um, I one time was trying to write about guys who were doing like grills in their house, mm-hmm. and none of those guys would talk to me because um, I didn't realize how like you know illegal that kind of is just doing casts of people's uh you know their teeth in your living room or whatever. Yeah in your garage and then making stuff for it. So, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's something to say about a little bit of shoe leather work. I enjoy it. I I don't know. Part part of me enjoys that. Um, it's a shame that your per hour rate ends, tends to go down, but, um, I like tracking people down sometimes. Yeah. When you can track them down and just, yeah. Uh, and you're, you're talking about, Rosie. Aren't, aren't you uh, doing some uh, a, a documentary? On- Dude, I am. I'm working on a documentary, and I'm, I'm right now in kind of the early stages of of uh, getting a rough cut together that I can show to some potential uh, interested parties who want to help me produce it on a better level. But um, I'm I'm what I would call Latino. So my mother is from Colombia. My dad is is uh, African-American, black, from uh, Newark, New Jersey. Um, and um, grew up in a very, like, uh, militant black household, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when the first wave of hip-hop came, I wasn't really into it, um, even though, like, a lot of my friends were. So I kind of missed that whole thing. But... Um, when I did get into it later, like big time in like high school, uh, I just started to notice that there weren't a lot of um, rappers who were Hispanic, right? There would always be some, even like pre like Fat Joe, there were some. Mellow Man Ace. Well, yeah, that there was there was uh, okay, there was Mellow Man Ace. Yes, that's true, but the gap between like Mellow Man Ace and like the next Mellow Man Ace, like. They always threw like a few bones that way. Like yeah, you had you had Kid Frost, and that kind of came like when the whole rap became big on MTV and, and the box and all those things that you you know the call up thing. Yeah. Like you'd see, you might see like Kid Frost and Mellow Man Ace, but like, can you name like three Mellow Man Ace songs? Probably just Mentirosa, right? Exactly. Like the one song he came out with. Yeah, um, that was the big. That was a big hit for him. That was. But like if I say Tone Loke, how many Tone Loke songs can you name? Well, I, 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 I own a Tone Loke. I owned Loked After Dark when I was a kid, so I can tell you a lot of songs. Definitely. See, and they came out kind of around the same time, Yeah, more or less. Um, I mean, the funny thing about that, just, you know, that that time it wasn't uh, Mellow Mayonnaise and Kid Frost, and then all of a sudden, Gerardo, and just yeah, brought, Gerardo. That, brought that whole stock down. Gerardo, yeah, he he did. Um, I guess he was probably going for like the same thing Pitbull eventually captured, 
But yeah, Gerardo, I think, was just way ahead of his time. Um, I want to say he was in Menudo, too, wasn't he? I don't think so. When he was younger? But then again, everybody was in Menudo. So that was my first to... concert I ever went to was a Menudo concert, yeah. by the way. Uh, it's because my mom had free tickets. Yeah. First time I heard about Menudo is when they were doing uh, these these uh, these these commercial spots on ABC. They had a, they had a cartoon. No, they didn't. It was just, no. They like that's why I thought too that yeah. they had a cartoon. Well, they may they have did. had a cartoon. No, they did have a cartoon. They may have had a cartoon in like the the native land. No, they had a cartoon on American TV. Check it out. Google there was, it. There, there was, I knew that you know they on uh, they would. Like I would watch uh, ABC on on Saturday morning. That's why then, they had a cartoon. But but it was but it was but I remember it as just them doing songs in the middle of of the sh- of the shows and everything. You mean it like a, a cartoon, bump, like an extended bumper, animated bumper? Yeah, no, no I'm but, it wasn't sure. an, but it wasn't animated. That was the thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I what I remember was. They did like the live version intro, and yeah. so those cartoons was had to be the same company that did like the Osmonds cartoon and like um, Jackson Five cartoon or whatever, because it had that same kind of feel to it. But Menudo for sure had their own cartoon, just because I used to watch that. Because Saturday morning, um, Saturday morning lineup was very important to me as a young child, and as a young child of Hispanic descent, seeing some Puerto Rican dudes up on the uh, the television was uh was pretty historic but um you did you did have a lot of uh hispanic latino performers right um coming out of la that's true and then as you shifted further to the east right you probably would think of uh like fat joe i mean big pun is probably one of the you know best rappers ever to do it um and some other guys right that that um that were Hispanic. Maybe you didn't know AZ was Hispanic, right? Like he's a uh, Panamanian, I think. AZ like was like the Not, guy like part of like the whole like, a- part AZ, of the firm. AZ, yeah, yeah. AZ was a firm, but I guess more famously was on the um, uh, "Life's a Bitch" uh, yeah, song. With, uh, with um, but he never really put that out there that he was of Hispanic. And Fabulous, he's Hispanic. Anyway, there, there's like a whole list of guys who are like crypto Latinos or whatever. Yeah. But um, but specifically, what I'm looking at is uh, the hip hop production from Hispanics that are coming out of uh, Houston because I don't feel like I have not seen really before um, stories about Southern Latinos and um, you know Mexican Americans and Chicanos who um, were raised in, in in the South and in Texas, and so. I mean, there are there are a couple of documentaries out there. Like there were people who had this idea, and they executed it in, in a pretty pretty okay way. But more like when the whole straight to DVD culture was pretty large, and it would be just be kind of like these one off interviews with people in concerts, and not really any kind of context to it. But um, kind of what I want to look at is, uh, or what I'm looking at is why their cultural production has kind of like largely been hidden um, because. Um, when you think of Hispanics, or particularly uh, Houston-raised, Houston-born um, Latinos, you, you generally will think of, uh, of SPM, of uh, South Park Mexican. Yeah. And he will um, kind of dominate kind of any conversation, right? He came out like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then you kind of get into, you got to get into this weird conversation about how he's in prison for, um, 
for sex assault on a child, yeah. which it, which just makes it like a whole weird kind of story. Hey, so, He's coming up for parole in two years. And so I guess the thinking would be, like, so when he comes out, is he going to, you know, put it all back together again? Um, because you guys had, for, for a while, um, Houston Press had this guy uh, named Rolando who was doing specifically stories about um, Hispanic rappers. And the list was long, man. It was, And this was, like, maybe 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago. And the list got pretty long. And, um, and these were guys who who are still around today. Uh, so it's a, it's an area of, of rap that I feel like isn't always looked at when you look at Houston hip hop. Um, and maybe that conversation will change eventually. I mean, yeah, Cardi B, she, she's, you know, mix, whatever, Latina and, and, um, and West Indian or whatnot, but uh, she doesn't really come out saying that she's Latina, but she does rap in Spanish, so I guess that's cool. But you know, she's New York, another New York uh, person. Um, and here you have some guys who are like doing things, making a little bit of noise, but they're not really uh, names that you would probably think of when you think of like, you know, who are the best rappers coming out of Houston right now who aren't Megan The Stallion or Travis Scott or Lizzo. So that's kind of um, that's kind of what I'm looking at. So. Well, I mean that's that's well that's something to look out for. Like you, when you think you're uh, you're doing your you'll be done with the uh, rap doc. Uh, when do I think I'll be done? You said. Yeah, when I think you'll be done. With the rap oh, um, I'm looking at wrapping up shooting in uh, December, and um, yeah, and just you know during this whole process, I haven't really done like proper fundraising yet, but I sort of want to see where I'm at after December when I kind of wrap up all of my. Um, my shots, because what I'm doing, I'm, I'm following three three different rappers uh, who are from here and seeing how far they get in a year. But one guy just told me he has a three-year plan, so it might end up getting extended. But it's always stuff I could come back to, uh, sort of, um, you know, extended on like an edit or something like that if something really comes to that. So, so yeah, December, and um, I'm not sure after that, but uh, I'm definitely going to uh, be talking to some places. Um, documentary production companies yeah. after I, that well uh you know the last the last thing i saw that you did for the houston press was like a, a couple of years ago so you haven't been writing for them yeah uh, houston press yeah um no you know it's um it's kind of hard for me to write for them because it's like as much as much as you want to like squeeze every last dollar out of it as a freelancer i just feel like you know you kind of have to have a bottom i mean depending on on where you're at in your career i think you kind of have to have like i'm not gonna write for this little bit amount so really the the freelancer rates out here are pretty treacherous as far as like non-chronicle based stuff and it's kind of a shame being that this is such a big city and so much stuff gets produced here. But if you're paying people $30, $35 an article, and, you know, I just, I don't do that kind of work anymore. You know, I can't. And plus, you know, the whole, there were people who who dedicated a lot of time, you know, to, to, to working for them and to working there. And their whole, like, journalism lives got upended because they ended up getting 
laid off to get replaced by freelancers. And there's just a certain part of me that just doesn't want to participate in that. Even though I totally support, like, you know, the fact that there are other entities in this city that that provide daily journalism, and, and I don't want to see that go away. I just personally think that when when you write for such a low rate and you know that um, that there's people that get affected by that, you know, kind of in the long run. But You, you still know. live in Third Ward? Third Ward, yeah, man. I'm a I'm a gentrifier from out of state. I'm a I'm a uh, <laughs> I'm a gentrifier, man. I mean, yeah, I love it though because it's uh, it. I'm used to more of a city vibe. I couldn't really do the suburbs. Yeah, like where I grew up is like ten miles outside of Manhattan. So, you know, I'm I'm used to kind of being closer to where stuff's going on. So, yeah. Third Ward is cool. I love that medium piece you did about Third War, where it's just like half of it's so true. It's like Thanks, you're going to run into roaches at some point. Well, roaches? And, oh, I've already seen the roaches, yeah, bro. I, yeah. When I first came out here, <laughs> when I first came out here, it was a, a place that was that was owned by like. She told me she was a television news director in Tyler. Whoever you are, lady, and. The roaches at her place were were heinous, and I used to tell her like, "Yo, man, can we deal with this somehow?" I was like, "You know, can you hire somebody?" And she would just send like her dude over there to like spray stuff in the walls. But I had to deal with roaches for a minute, man. And the thing is, I grew up when I grew up, I would spend a lot of time like weekends and and things like that at my grandmother's house in Newark. And I remember seeing roaches there, not a lot, but just because it's the city. But here was like. I think childhood trauma came back at yeah. the place I lived in. And um, I remember asking people, because I was working at the Houston Press, I would ask people, like, hey, do you have roaches? And it was like a scandalous question, because some people would be like, no. <laughs> and some people would be like, oh, well, just the fat ones that get in there, you know, that yeah. kind of crawl in. And I wasn't talking about those, man. I was talking about the, the skinnier, yeah. fast ones. Yeah, the small ones just like crawl yeah. on your forehead. Yeah, I was kind of traumatized by that one. So at, um, least you, at least you didn't have bed bugs. No, no, I couldn't do bed bugs. Hopefully, never. Knock on wood. Don't want any bed bugs. So, I mean, but you're still you're writing for the Houston Chronicle now. You're still doing. Stuff. Man, I write for the Chronicle. You know, they laid me off. I understand these are businesses. Um, yeah. I don't feel so bad about writing for them because, you know, I'm sure everybody who's a freelancer in Houston knows their their rates are probably some of the best. Yeah. Unless you're getting like a a cover story in Houstonia or something. Even Houstonia pays, like, super. I know I'm, I'm probably burning my friggin', uh, <laughs> probably burning my freelance uh, strings right now. But no, the thing. Oh, yeah, everybody listens to this. Uh, yeah, everybody listens to it. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, for those people who want to be freelancers, um, yeah, I think Houstonia pays good, a decent magazine rate if you get into there. But yeah. their online payments definitely um, Blow. probably along the same scale. Like, you know, but you know, at the Chronicle, you're working with Carrie. Are you working with Carrie and Carrie, darling. Yeah. Hey, man. You. It's like the fact that the Chronicle has a a black lead film critic, an Asian theater critic, and um, a gay Hispanic pop culture writer. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they won't give me a job yet, but no. they just haven't found the right job for me. I'm sure. Um, but either way, I, really, my my so kind of my focus now is on 
uh, finishing this film and also on um, getting my work into more national outlets because I think that Houston, well, you know from writing for national outlets that Houston's profile has been growing so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, five years ago when I moved here, I didn't move here because Houston was so great. I knew a lot about it from visiting, but I really moved here because it was the closest I could get to West Coast weather. So that was my initial reason. But then as I've stayed and made roots here, I've noticed that it's like really is a city like perpetually on the rise. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's always going to be looked down on, but it's always going to have like all these like really awesome secrets and and really, um, really cool, um, you know, cultural output that yeah. that people aren't going to be, you know, ready for until it's the next place. I'm sure like. Minnesota somewhere is waiting to to be the next. It's, no, I'm just kidding. Whatever is below Houston. What is below Houston? I don't know. Baltimore, something like that. Yeah, but so that's not a place. Just it's Itsville. This yeah. is the place to be. Well, if if you say so. Um. Well, uh, tell you know we got. I guess we got to wrap this up because we've been talking for a long time. But where can people uh, contact you on the interwebs? Where can people reach out to you? Where can people read your stuff? Oh yeah, I'm always I'm always uh on Instagram. That's Camilo Hannibal, C A M I L O H A N N I B A L, um at Camilo Hannibal on um on the I G and on Twitter, um Camilo Smith at Camilo Smith on Twitter. And those are like my official outlets and um I usually will will post the articles I write which uh frequently are for the Chronicle. I got one coming up um writing about Mike Dean, the uh, legendary uh, producer from Angleton. Yeah. But people here love him. So that's the next thing coming out. Uh, should be out in time for Astro World. So we'll see. You going to Astro World? No. I'm not. Yeah. You, were you there last year? I got lucky. I got, like, invited last year yeah. by a yeah, fellow I, journalist. But. Yeah, I went there too. And then, like, after, after the third, fourth hour, my feet were hurting. Like this, yeah, it was like this is a young man. This is a young person's game right here. I just like. I've never been a big fan of festivals. Yeah. Um, Coachella was cool like a long, long time ago. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah. Props to uh, Travis Scott because like you know, nobody died. I don't think so. Nobody. It was like <laughs> that was like it. It, was, it went off without a hit. So I'm like. That's you know, funny. Kudos I, him. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody yeah, got every, killed. Yeah. Everything went shockingly well. I did not expect that. Yeah. Oh yeah, so I guess he's gonna like the same. Hopefully, will, everything will uh, be the same this year. So, no, that's that. great if you could do it every year. Yeah, yeah, it is. Everybody's everybody's doing their own festival now, so might as well he, he might get into it. He doesn't have his girlfriend weighing him down now. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be like he'll have more shit to sell because that was like the whole thing about last year, just like getting all the merch. That, DJ like, screw most, merch. Not just merch, just like the. The clothes that uh, that designer uh, made for him, the DJ slash designer, and then, oh Virgil, yeah Virgil Abloh, and then her cosmetic stuff. Like, and he had the DJ Screw uh, shop. Yeah, thing. they had that too. So. I'm down with anything that sells more DJ Screw merch. Exactly. So, uh, thank you. Uh, Thanks Mr. for having me, man. Mr. Smith, for uh, you know attending I, this thing and talking. And I know I'm doing the right thing. You invited me to your show. Glad, glad for you to come down and tell us some some good things about Amazon Women on the Moon, and uh, so um, 
Until next time, this is uh, Craig D. Lindsay saying, Sarah Huckabee, you, me, and a big-ass jar of natural Jif peanut butter. The natural, Not the crunchy, because, like, you know, the crunchy gives me heartburn and everything, but the, but the creamy, creamy, natural, and maybe some natural Skippy. I, I'm, I'm just, like, I always like all-natural peanut butter for some reason, so just all the all-natural peanut butter we can get. It's like that.